0: Welcome to Site Selection Matters, where we take a close look at the art and science of site selection decision-making. I'm your host, Rick Weddle, president of the Site Selectors Guild. In each episode, we introduce you to leaders in the world of corporate site selection and economic development. We speak with members of the Site Selectors Guild, our economic development partners, and corporate decision-makers to provide you with deep insight into the best and next practices in our profession. In this episode, we have as our guest, Dennis Donovan, Principal with Wadley Donovan Gutshaw Consulting, one of the nation's leading site selection and location advisory firms. Today, Dennis will talk with us about how EDOs, or economic developers, can work to position their communities in the post-pandemic era. Join me as we welcome Dennis Donovan to Site Selection Matters. Dennis, in this post-pandemic era, it seems like communities, just like companies, should be reassessing their competitive situation and their target industry focus to make sure they're positioned correctly going forward. Is this correct? Do you see it that way?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, you know, th- This is really a continuation. I mean, it, it's what I call continuous product improvement, continuous business improvement. should always be looking at uh, the assets and, and liabilities that the community has to offer And what that holds for the future and how this, how you rank vis a vis the competition. So I think that's key. And one of, you know, in terms of competitive positioning coming out of uh, the pandemic, without any question, the number one consideration in terms of how successful a, a community will be from a retention, expansion, and a recruitment standpoint is the talent pool. I have never seen even in the heydays before the Great Recession, a tighter labor market than we've had today. Now, there's change. There, there are differences around the country. It's not uniform, but there are significant challenges. And they stretch from qualified entry level, through semi-skilled, through skilled and certain professional positions as well. So documenting an area's labor market resources, especially as they relate to the target industries, is going to be vitally important. And let me tell you, Rick, one of the challenges that I see not being adequately meant, I do not see enough workforce assessment that is demand-driven, in other words, is taking stock of what the demand for certain skills are now and in the future, and I see too much in terms of communities and workforce development focusing on jobs. We need to be focusing on skills. The skills required, and then that 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 leads into certain occupations and jobs. so this is going to be really important, but demand based, skills based within your target industries and overall, and then I would say we can't you know we hear all about uh, upskilling and so forth and that is true, but believe me, there because of technology, uh, there are going to be portion of the workforce that may not be able to participate fully in the post-COVID recovery. So we need to have a training aim at what, not only the marginalized, but at those of greatest risk of being displaced. And they can be upskilled to form bottom of the foundation for companies that are going to require entry-level labor. So uh, this is a new paradigm here. And we don't have a lot of time to do a lot of redesigning. You do it very quickly. So uh, holistic collaborations of educators, government, business but it really needs to be business led is going to be key in terms of making sure that we have a workforce uh, that can sustain uh, our local companies and our target industries, particularly those that we want, that we have placed a premium for uh, recruiting to create new jobs.
0: Hey, Dennis, that really makes a lot of sense. And I've Made some notes here. I've got a whole bunch of topics I want to drill in in just a bit, but let's dig a little deeper on this overall concept of competitive position, if you will. For starters, how does a, a an EDO, an economic development officer, or a community really go about evaluating how competitive they are in relation to others, so they kind of become self-aware?
1: It's always difficult because when you do a self-assessment, the community of the EDO can be far more comprehensive than when you're doing a benchmark because, you know, it's very uh, time consuming and expensive to do a real deep dive on, on benchmark locations. This is my advice. I think that every so often, you know, it is important to take a comprehensive assessment of the assets and liabilities that a community, or a region, or an area, state, whatever it may be, take a comprehensive assessment of the assets and liabilities that are evident from a deep dive evaluation. The deep dive evaluation has to include a combination of interviews and surveys with corporations and then other stakeholders along the spectrum. That is absolutely key. So once that, and then once that's done. And this is important because I don't see enough, enough of this in target industries. Once that assessment is completed, then you need to take whatever assets have been identified. and Those that, those that are most compelling, there needs to be a storyline that combines different assets into a sales message. And I don't see enough of that. I see individual, well, we got certain population growth or we got 15,000 engineers. Okay, that's good. But what does it all mean? If we tie together uh, certain facts that surfaces assets, what storyline can we tell? And in a target industry, to legitimately have a target industry, an area must have several compelling and distinctive assets. If you don't, it's gonna be difficult to recruit. Secondly then, knowing what the industries uh, are that you, you, that you either have as a foundation, or that you're trying to attract, then you you've got to really know what is important to these industries. Very specifically, the type of skill sets. Do they need available buildings? Do they need clean rooms? Whatever it may be, that becomes important. Once that's understood, then benchmarking through desktop research and and, and a limited amount of original research, you take and look at who have you competed against in the past, and. Who do you think you're gonna compete against in the future? And you can get that knowledge not only from uh, you know from um, past projects, but you interview companies that have selected your area recently, what other areas that they look at? And you also do some research of where certain industries are uh, really taking hold and beginning to grow, including with startup operations. And then you do a series of statistical benchmarks. How do you stack up? Pluses and minuses. And once you come that, that back, that there's two things you do. You say, okay, based upon how we have done our competitive analysis, what really stands out? And what stands out then has to be translated again into sales, teams and marketing. And then you need to say, okay, what are we not strong in? And we still have to address that in our marketing and branding, but we also then need to take stock of what we, what we can do to ameliorate some of those uh, disadvantages vis-a-vis the competition. So that's in a nutshell what we do. Deep dive at a host location and detail, statistical and anecdotal uh, evaluation of existing and emerging competitive locations.
0: Dennis, I like your idea, your comment about a storyline because all the data in the world is important and you'll get to that evaluation and that, but, it, but you have to ultimately, a community has got to be able to message that and tell a story that is compelling that makes some either a talented person or an important company want to be in that in that uh, community location. And that storyline also, Dennis, I mean, it's got to be not what the community wants to say, but rather what plays well with their market, isn't that right? That's absolutely right.
1: Look at, you know, I, I sometimes am a, a critic of target industries because I think they're too broad. I don't see enough uh, real definition of what the industry is, believe it or not. And I really don't see other than, you know, again, uh, silo messages, you know, we've got certain number of, uh, you know, IT or something. I, I just don't see a cohesive intermingling of factors to develop a story or a compelling argument for the industry. What does that mean? Well, what is unique and distinctive for that industry? That's number one. Number two, Target industries I see today are too broad. Biomedical. I mean, everybody's going after biomedical. If you're in a biofield, what are the specific subsets that you are really strong at, such as therapeutics? All right. That becomes important. Advanced manufacturing is is, is kind of a, uh, if a company's in manufacturing and it's not advanced, they won't be in manufacturing very long. I don't care if you're making mattresses or you're making semiconductors. So, again, in manufacturing, what are the specific industries that you, your area has that can support the absolutely most critical requirements of those industries? So being more defined on target industries, we got to get to that point. Too much broad uh, uh, definition of the target industries. And here's another thing that I don't see out there very well. Truly documenting the industry ecosystem. What do I mean? What are the companies that are operating in the area, established and new, academic programs that are geared to that particular industry? They could be certifications, they could be uh, training programs, they could be degree programs. Nonprofits. Who are the nonprofits that are contributing to the ecosystem as well? And very importantly, in that industry, what is the success and scale? of entrepreneurship and startup operations, and what resources are available for entrepreneurs, startups, first and second stage within, within that industry. So defining ecosystems not very well done. And that's important to businesses, because in most target industries, we want to be in an industry ecosystem. Then we need to access the existing companies. You know, again, I don't see enough of this. What you know, you go out and talk to your companies, and this ought to be done every at least every two years. What's the good? What's the bad? And what are we going to do to shore up the bad? And then how do we promote the good? Because things change, dynamics change. If you have a target industry, you know, I mean, these industries can be, you know, revolutionized in a number of years. So you got to make sure you're still viable for it. So we got to continuously assess. And then on your website and your messaging, a business case. What is a strong business case? I want to see a one pager a business case to why this company ought to come to your area. And it's got to be compelling. If it's, if it's rudimentary, if it's elementary and just a bunch of hyperbole or pedantics, it's not going to have any impact. All right. That's going to be, that. that is absolutely going to be key. And then uh, I, again, and in, in defining the talent pipeline, you know, we need to define the skills and, and the skills are probably not even in Bureau of Labor Statistics. So what are the skills that are going to be required in this industry? And they may not be reported in government sources. That's why you got to go find out what they are. And then we got to do the same for the talent pipeline. Now, it's not enough to say I got a number of computer science uh, graduates every year. You got to match them with what the companies are looking for in terms of the skill sets. That's another thing that's important. I'm a big believer in uh, print media and visual media, uh, traditional media in terms of advertising, but I'm also a huge believer in uh, extensive social market advertising. And if I'm doing it, I'm going to. Advertise my target industries, promote my target industries on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn. Now, the other thing, too, I don't see enough of, writing blogs. Not why it's a great location, but writing a blog that is of value to the industry. And a tagline, hey, this is from a company or this is from a group of of experts based in location X or Y. And the same with doing podcasts do a podcast that is beneficial to the corporate community. And then you got the tagline. This was developed from resources in a particular area.
0: Dennis, we're going to jump into some of those details in just a minute, but you mentioned change and how industry's changing. And I'd like to follow up on that if I could. Uh, For example, uh, we hear a lot about supply chain realignment and how companies are adjusting their supply chain. It seems to me that a community might have been well-positioned for the old supply chain framework and wake up suddenly today and find that things have changed. And maybe the companies that they've been counting on aren't distributing or manufacturing in the same locations. Are you seeing that as a possibility?
1: It's a reality. It's, it's more than a possibility. It's happening. Companies are, are looking at end-to-end supply chains, and the supply chain oftentimes includes uh, companies that are making products that are captive, they're making in-house, they could be uh, subcontracting. A lot of corporations are saying, do we do we even need these subcontractors? You may be in an area that has a subcontractor to a particular industry. They may need want more subcontractors, they may not, they might want less subcontractors. You know, when you reevaluate your supply chain, there could be too much of a uh, concentration in a geographic area that could benefit your community. And it may be a disadvantage to your community. Uh, companies are saying, you know, maybe maybe we don't have enough global diversity, and we need to either cap or or, or relocate capacity locally to more global, or we got to reshort and bring it in. I can just say that supply chains are getting shorter, they're becoming more regionalized, and they're becoming very very attuned more so than ever to risk and potential disruption throughout that entire supply chain. So they're, they are being geographically reformulated in many cases. And so you need to understand that, particularly in your target industries and your foundational industries. That's important.
0: Dennis, you talked earlier about the existing businesses. And as we come out of the pandemic, isn't it a great time for an EDO to uh, update their existing industry or business retention expansion program, touching on the challenges of, let's just say it, work from home, gig economy, all of that, the challenges that that's presenting to communities. What should a community be doing in supporting their existing industry in this new work from home environment?
1: Working home is one. But I mean, what we really need to do is, I think, post-pandemic, I see a, a role for economic development to be a quarterback, if you will, to help companies, particularly small and mid-sized companies, uh, deal with the new paradigm of, of post-COVID. What are we talking about? Uh, I can remember when we used to have the manufacturing extension services at the land-grant universities that really helped businesses, particularly with technology and so forth. We need to be doing the same thing. Number one, that in a post-pandemic, there needs to be a whole series of resources, toolkits, experts that uh, an economic development agency would have as a a resource center to allow companies to access those um, resources to be able to fashion a strategy for, really, for survival and expansion uh, post-pandemic. What does this mean? Workplace design. There are implications here for workplace design. There are health and safety issues. There's a work at home versus physical office. I don't believe that you're going to see wholesale remote, remote work or work at home. I think it'll be a hybrid. But how do companies cope with that? All right. And then there's a workforce of the future. We have trends of globalization of technology and demographic change. You know, we're becoming a, a older country. You know, that's a real serious issue. So they're not in their favor. So having the kind of expertise that to in education and, and consulting with, with your local companies, to me, is going to be very, very important. This is a new and extended, if you will, uh, role that economic development agencies need to play in retention and expansion.
0: You know, Dennis, you mentioned earlier the word upskilling, and you also mentioned that we're in the tightest labor market you've seen in in many years. Let's talk a little bit more about talent and workforce. You know, as you as you said, you see help wanted signs almost everywhere, but you also see many workers that still haven't or can't find jobs in their preferred career, or maybe aren't uh, equipped, if you will, to compete for the jobs that do exist. What are your thoughts on, t- uh, deeper thoughts on talent and workforce and how a community can be effective in addressing this?
1: Again, uh, you know, I, I think that number one uh, is to assess what are what are the skills that the local businesses need. That's going to be absolutely critical. And it's, it's skills versus job. I mentioned before, you know, we really need to start retraining uh, positions that are a higher risk of automation food preparation workers, receptionists, front desk, uh, you know, ticket takers, medical assistants, things like this. This is going to be key because the more we can retrain the portion of the labor market that may be left out of this new uh, technology driven economy, well, then that's going to to help companies be able to fill positions they can train. And we have to really pay very close attention to the marginalized, you know, the long-term underemployed, the disabled, formerly incarcerated, you know, It's going to be important to look at the marginalized elements of of our workforce and to try to get them into the workforce and be trained with basic skills and so forth. So that's key. Uh, But then manufacturing companies are adopting rapidly what they call Factory 4.0. This is the introduction of artificial intelligence, robotics, other technological innovations. And this is going to require different skill sets. So understanding what those skill sets are and developing the talent pipeline, uh, really starting at K through 12, but certainly in community and four-year colleges is going to be absolutely critical. This is going to be key. And I also think that talent attraction, Yeah, man, I mean, you know, we have spent a lot of uh, uh, dollars and resources on recruiting businesses. Now we got to start recruiting talent. So talent attraction, come home campaigns, move here campaigns, job networks, you know, uh, po- possibly even providing some cash incentives. I've seen cash incentives provided for remote workers. Maybe we got to start doing this for skilled workers as well. So this is going to become uh, absolutely important is talent development and talent attraction. Uh, it's going to have to be uh, given far more uh, resources behind it than ever ever before.
0: You know, it's all about supply and demand, and when the it demand is. is there and the supply is not there, you have to be creative, I guess, uh, you how you how you go about it. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about marketing communities. You started to share some of your thoughts on what communities need to be doing. It does seem like that during the pandemic, almost everything has shifted online, you know, from websites to digital marketing efforts to virtual outreach and sales calls, even virtual site oh, visits. God. From your point of view... How much of this will continue? Is virtual here to stay? And how does a community take advantage of this change?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for communities. Virtual site location decision-making is here to stay. Uh, We will take the the process of selecting a new site further along, utilizing virtual resources as opposed to on-site resources than ever before. Being able to meet the requirements of companies and consultants that are going to be doing virtual information gathering and analysis is going to be key. So what does that mean? Well, number one, you've got to have a great website. And that website needs to have information that not only consultants, but companies can use as well. And, you know, because the consultants only represent maybe 30, 40, uh, 40% of the marketplace And so we may have a lot of data that uh, companies or the do-it-yourselfers or those that are being helped out by a a professional not in our field, an attorney or something, they're going to need a lot of data. So data-rich websites are going to be really critical as well. But having the ability to do virtual community tours, I would like to see communities offering, uh, you know, you could even do, these could be the equivalent of videos, you know, a virtual presentation, if you will, on target industries. You know, we go through the entire ecosystem of a target industry. This is what we have to offer within the community. It needs to be done virtually, all right? I think virtual sales calls are going to be key. You know, uh, we can have uh, rather prospect t- trips. We can have virtual uh, meetings with uh, companies and prospects as well. I see that you know 360 tours of submarkets, real estate, and labor submarkets are going to be key. Absolutely important are 360 tours of, of, of your key sites and buildings so this, you know, we need to have a whole slew of tools that are virtual tools uh, to be able to effectively market uh, communities. And then, as I mentioned, digital marketing is, 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 is really key. Uh, you know, you got to be made aware of and, and, and many, uh, many multiple modes on social media platforms.
0: Does that mean uh, also, let me just, you mentioned skills earlier and upskilling. It seems to me that a lot of economic developers are going to need to be retrained a little bit, or you're going to have to have new talent in their shops to manage this virtual and this data and this, and this uh, online world.
1: Hey, you know, economic development is no, no, no different than some of the other fields. I mean, you're going to need, uh, you know, <laughs> data analytics is going to be really critical uh you know uh intelligence is going to be key so you know those that do a really good job uh in terms of uh, how you present data how you go and get data because it may not be readily available and then how you uh you know uh, conduct like i say these 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 virtual reality i mean they're reality tours that's what it is it's you know it's ar you know it's a way artificial reality i mean this is really going to be key you know uh it's nice to, to host people on a fam tour how about conducting Virtual fan tours, you reach a lot more of an audience than you do just with a a limited uh, fan tour. So uh, I think that uh, the virtual world is here to stay. I know we are taking our product, unless it's a very, you know, unique uh, industry where, you know, uh, sites are really critical, you know, with infrastructure and so forth. We are taking virtual site analysis probably a third farther down a decision pathway than we did a
0: year ago. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And that's, you know, that's been changing over time, but now it's, it's, it's accelerated dramatically. You know, Dennis, you've given us a lot to think about in this podcast today. What a great conversation we've had, but that's really all the time we have. So let me say thanks right now to Dennis Donovan with Wadley Donovan Gutshaw Consulting for talking with us today on Site Selection Matters.
1: Rick, it's been my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Site Selection Matters, and a special thanks today to Dennis Donovan Wadley Donovan Gutshaw Consulting for helping us understand how communities can compete in the post-pandemic era. What an informative discussion and one that leaves us with a lot to think about. Again, I'm Rick Weddle, President of the Site Selectors Guild. This podcast episode presents my views and the views of my guests, and they do not represent the views or opinions of the Site Selectors Guild or its membership. We hope you'll subscribe to Site Selection Matters Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you some great discussions in the year ahead. And until next time, good day.